Hello and welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. I'm so glad you're here. Today's episode was such a meaningful one for me to record. I had invited Melissa Winfield as my guest. And Melissa is the daughter of the late Jeanette Stoltzfus, who was a dear friend of mine and my family for 15 years. And she um, died in 2015 of cancer. And today, January 6, 2021, uh, is Jeanette's birthday. So we wanted to honor her with this episode. So if you... um, are new to my podcast, I just want to suggest that you listen to some of the earlier episodes starting around October 14th of 2020, because it's then where I started reading the parable that I wrote, and I read it in one small section at a time so that you can get to know the characters and the way that um, we're unfolding this series. But in today's episode, my main character um, really is awakened to his most authentic spiritual self in God while he's facing a suffering and a betrayal. So as you're listening to Melissa and I talk about her deep losses, uh, she too unpacks what she discovers about her own faith during a time of suffering and loss. So thanks for being here. And as always, I have to ask if you would please take a moment and think about one or five people who you could share this podcast with. Again, welcome to Real Life with Pamela Lau. Chapter 15. Ever since Amy and David's confrontation in the living room last night, David kept replaying his own words, and he found himself longing to say it better. He wasn't putting into words how he really felt. Something held him back as if he knew deep inside that if his own wife witnessed his raw, vulnerable self, she would hold it over him. He forced his thoughts to the back of his mind when he realized he wanted something or someone to fight for him, to stand with him, to be for him. But he knew better than to let such a desire test him. As quickly as it rose up, he willed himself to take hold of his own self. He was relieved that Diane agreed for a longer session today as she offered him a safe and brave space to let his guard down. David, do you want to start with the facts of what happened with Amy? Amy was in a lawsuit and kept it for me for the past 18 months. She confessed that she used our savings, and when that ran out, she opened a separate credit card to incur the charges. When I asked her why she hadn't told me, she looked directly at me and said she dreaded my reaction and wasn't confident I could handle the truth. As David spoke, the rage awoke within him as tears slid from his eyes. She accused me of not being fully present to her. I'm so sorry, David, Diane gently looked and as felt compassion for him. Do you remember what the Spirit spoke to you when you were standing in your closet? That I'm only looking at the surface of things? Do you think in this way you have only been looking at the surface of how you've lived your daily life at home? David stood up and looked out the window as he spoke. Amy left me alone years ago. She hasn't been my support when I needed her. 
Turning back to Diane, he whispered, and now she accuses me of not being there for her or saying she was afraid of my anger. But where was she when I desperately wanted to be seen for who I am, just me, not someone she wanted me to be? Diane began listening to David with one ear on him and one ear on the spirit as she recognized that he was very close to unlocking a closed door in his heart, a closed door that had been sealed shut for two decades. The very door that caused him to believe that he walked away from his faith. Can you remember a time in your life when the support you're describing was true for you and Amy or true just for you? David thought for a moment and looked back over their 10-year marriage. In the early years, there was a sense of not being so alone or on their own. He couldn't quite say why, but definitely there was a difference. Shaking his head, he said to Diane, I feel so resentful toward Amy right now that I cannot possibly imagine how this is part of my spiritual journey. God sees from a different perspective and he's asking you, do you want to know me better? I believe he knows you so intimately, David, and he knows this need you are longing for, this need for real strength. In the quiet of the room, David acknowledged to himself that he heard in his spirit, I will never leave you. Just moments before Amy came home, he took a chance and confessed something to Diane that he'd never said aloud before. I feel like I'm at a crossroads of listening to two or three, maybe more different voices. The voices of failure and shame are constantly keeping me locked in a state of resentment. And the voice of love, if that's what we could call it, keeps calling out my name. David, hold on just a moment. You have penetrated the surface of things, and now I hear your most authentic voice rising up. Resentment is you expecting an unrealistic strength from something or someone, and it never came through. It never comes through. From whom or what did you expect unrealistically? Can you name it? David's words came out of his mouth before he formed the thoughts. Sometimes I believe my presence is stronger than anyone else's. Including God's presence? Yes. You can confess this God. You can tell him about your fake strength. And as you do... You are inviting him to work in your life beyond the surface of things. But what about the way Amy manipulated me in the past year and a half? How will I deal with all of this again without the old feelings of devastating shame? You're sounding detached, David. At this point on your spiritual journey, every step you take away from Amy is you running from God's presence. Again, David saw the choices in front of him. Talking this way, speaking from his most authentic self with Diane, gave him bursts of courage to say yes to God. From this vantage point, he could see clearly. From this height on the mountain, he had a strange sense of being wanted, watched over, as if someone were pursuing him. For the first time in years, David didn't want to sit in darkness any longer. His circumstances hadn't changed. In fact, they'd only gotten worse. 
Yet on this journey, he was not only finding out that God wanted him, he was discovering something he avoided for far too long. David was on the brink of discovering his most authentic self with God's perception of him. One thing he was confident about, he never wanted to go back the way he came. What he didn't know is if that included Amy in the future or not. How could he ever feel loved by her after all her selfish, selfish ways? He shook his head of the thoughts. The pain was like a fire waiting to spread, and he certainly didn't want to provide the fuel. All right. Well, welcome, Melissa. So good to see you today. You look beautiful as always. Uh, for my listeners, would you just tell us a little bit about, why don't you tell us your whole name, first of all, because I still call you, even on my phone, you're still Melissa Stoltzfus. <laughs> but what is your, what, are, what name are you going by? And why don't you tell us what you're doing for work right now? Yeah, so my name is Melissa Winfield. Maiden name is Stoltzfus, mm-hmm. of course. And so I'm a, a therapist. Um, I have my doctorate in clinical psychology, and I'm a therapist in the LA area now. Okay, it's just so hard for me to believe because for those of you who are uh, just joining us, this is Melissa Winfield, who I have known since she was, hmm, how old were you in 2000? Would you nine. Have been, nine, okay, so that's how long I've known you. So for me to see and look at her as Dr. Winfield is just miraculous. So um, why don't you talk a little bit? You did go under, did you do your undergrad? I can't remember. Cedarville? Is that right? Yeah, Cedarville University in Ohio. And then I did uh, my doctoral program at George Fox. Okay. University. So you just, if I remember correctly, you just boom, 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 went right through, right? Yes. Didn't even take a break. <laughs> nope. I knew what I wanted. I was one of those blessed people in that way. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, so I remember too, and may, it's during my memory that didn't you like publish a paper in undergrad or something? that you, or got to present a paper or something like that. Do you remember? I did. I did some, I did some, uh, articles, but I mean, nothing, nothing actually that has continued with me. Okay. I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know if it pertained to what you're doing now, but anyway, and I do know that you play tennis Mm -hmm. through college. Yes. Through college. Wish I did more now, but yeah, I know it'll come back, especially if we move back. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Melissa, I'm wondering if you would talk a little bit about, you know, how you were raised, where you were raised, um, talk, this program, we talk a lot about faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious how your parents raised you in the faith and um, what it looked like. Um, and then we'll get into kind of our deep connection that we have together. So, but I thought we'd start with your, your, how you were raised first. Yeah. So, so I was raised in Newburgh, Newburgh, Oregon. Um, my, my parents both grew up uh, Mennonite. So, and actually pretty conservative Mennonite. So my, um, my dad grew up um, beachy Amish. So um, I call them almost Amish. Um, and so uh, they kind of came from that background. And then um, my dad moved out to George Fox for his graduate work as a psychologist as well. So that's how we landed in Newburgh and then went to a Quaker church there. I think it was the, the closest they could find to <laughs> Mennonite. Well, what, uh, is, what does it mean to be beachy Amish? 
so beach Yamish is um it's it's a group that is not amish per oh, se because okay. they're allowed to have a little bit more freedoms i guess so they're a little bit more integrated into um more standardized american culture but it's it's still it's um a lot of roles still through the church so okay okay my dad he just told me the other day he, re he remembers when their church had a discussion about whether or not men should have buttons on their pants you know <laughs> or zippers it's like or zippers that's what it was because the amish do buttons and suspenders and so the, there was a big question about zippers um so you know the women wear cape dresses and coverings um if, if you don't know what you're looking for they look amish um but there's just you know small variations in the dress and the colors in the shape of the covering that tell you that they're not so um they still had they still uh, they had cars but radio was discouraged so things like that <laughs> okay so fascinating and um as you know there's such a hot topic to discuss Amish and there's you know people are writing books on the Amish culture but but then you just said that your parents who came from Mennonite and Amish background landed in a Quaker church mm -hmm. so how mm -hmm. does Quaker how is Quaker similar to the Mennonite and Amish background um I think the most striking similarity is the um the pacifist beliefs yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that probably makes them mm -hmm. the most is that that's the most common common ground mm -hmm. um yeah, I would say that would be it. Um, more emphasis on like free will, I would say, in the teachings of the church. Um, yeah, and I think more of a, a the almost like a quiet, charismatic <laughs> is how the Quakers are referred. Mm -hmm. to the light within. Yeah, mm -hmm. they talk yeah. a lot about the light within, and that mm -hmm. Jesus is speaking to us, and mm -hmm. that's true. Yeah. And that's not maybe as strong in the Mennonite church, but I think there was, it felt comfortable enough that mm -hmm. there was that common ground. So. so are you attending a Quaker church today? I'm not, I'm attending, uh, attending a non-denominational church. Okay. Um, with roots in, I don't know, I don't think it's Southern Baptist, but it's, um, our, our pastor is Southern from Mississippi. Um, part of the African-American community. So, oh, yeah, that sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know exactly where we land exactly like denominationally, but um, yeah, definitely gospel centered. Okay, well, before I, I ask you anything else, I'm, I, one of the things I wondered if you could do for my listeners, how would you describe who, your faith? Like, who do you identify with? Are you an evangelical? Are you a conservative? Are you more liberal? Are you middle of the road? How would you just identify yourself as a person of faith? Yeah, I, I do still identify as evangelical Christian. Okay. Um, I know that has different meanings for different people, so mm -hmm. I usually don't add as you know labels as much but mm -hmm. um but definitely as christian and i i am more conservative um i feel like i i feel like i'm pretty conservative in the circles that i have been running in but <laughs> i go into other places and i am you know the weird liberal one so <laughs> can you give an example of how that how that is yeah so i mean i think it started even even back in um even back in high school and earlier from being able to, from what I can remember, I think because we had that, that Amish connection, we were always very connected with 
those churches and kind of the values there. And so a lot of, you know, very strong family values, a lot of emphasis on the authority of scripture. And then in the Quaker circles, a lot more emphasis on social justice, right? So um, I think I got a little bit of both. So always kind of felt in the middle <laughs> um, and kind of understood and appreciated both. Um, what that's looked like then since high school is I went to a pretty conservative university. And so I was, you know, kind of the, the liberal kid from Oregon who was a pacifist. <laughs> that's so funny to me. I can't even imagine that being labeled to you. <laughs> no, I, but it's true. And I think a lot of it was the pacifism. I mean, Cedarville has a very strong ROTC program. Good point. My roommate, my roommate wasn't in Air Force. So, you know, that was an interesting conversation. Um, I ended up marrying a guy who was in the army for a couple of years. So obviously my, my viewpoints have, I like to think matured, but definitely yeah. shifted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, shifted and changes over time. But then I went back to George Fox and in their, in their program was more uh, conservative based on just who was there. So I kind of always feel like I'm a little bit kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, and even now, I mean, now we go to um, a multi-ethnic church in LA and um, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a, the, the differences are like, it's different things that I'm being compared to, but the fact that I have rural family, family that, you know, understands more the rural American lifestyle and values to, and then compared to the more urban, um, ethnic minority groups, we still, Paul and I still feel a little bit of that tension of how do we hold both? You know, mm, how do that's we so good. That's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's very, very good. And so with, with that framework in place, Melissa, uh, one of the reasons I was really looking forward to having this conversation with you is because uh, 20 years ago, I met a, a very important woman, a very special woman, and her name was Jeanette, and she happened to be your mom. And so today, I really wanted to hear from you. Um, you know, how someone like your mom influenced your faith. But before we go there, I just want to give a little background a little bit here because for people who are listening, they might not know uh, who Jeanette is. But, but I uh, came here from the East Coast from, and I taught at a Bible college full time and moved out here with my husband so he could take a job at George Fox. And I had three babies under three. And one of the first women I met at the Big Friends Church was Jeanette who was Melissa's mom. And I just moved from Lancaster County. I don't know if you knew that, but so it was, I was like, and at the time, Jeanette covered her head. So when we started interacting, we, we just had that instant connection with the, with the Mennonite and Amish community, even though I have no roots in it at all. Hmm. But there's a lot of stories I could tell but what I want to say more than anything is, uh, to, to, particularly for my listeners, but for to you, is Jeanette was probably the most faithful Christian friend I had here in Oregon mm -hmm. for the years. And so um, for those of you listening, uh, Jeanette was diagnosed with, may, maybe help me get this right, with breast and bone cancer in 2007. Is that right? Was it yeah, 2007? Cancer, but it was in her bones at that point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and she went on to live until 2015, mm -hmm. November of 2015. 
And so her story is one that has yet to be told, is what I would say. And I would also say that it's only now, almost five years later, that I'm able to talk about this publicly um, without having to walk off, walk away. And there are still times that it's troubling. And, and Melissa, I was just sharing with your sister, Rebecca, a couple weeks ago, that the month your mom died, um, I, my, I had just published the book, A Friend in Me, How to Be a Safe Haven for Other Women. And for me, it felt like a, a, a horrible joke that I had to go and talk to other women about what it looked like to be a safe person, meaning what it meant to look be Christ to another person when the, one of the key people in those last several years was Jeanette. Mm -hmm. And so there were times when I was in public and I would have to walk away because I was so overcome mm -hmm. with this loss. So as I prayed about this, doing this with you, one of the questions I have is, you know, what was it about Jeanette that has been so hard in losing her? You know, mm -hmm. what was it about her? But she was your mom. So you have a totally different, you know, relationship than I do. But I just wondered maybe if you could describe your mom and the way she lived out her faith with you from the time you were a young girl. So, mm -hmm. and it's okay if you have to take a pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I love that question of of how yeah how like mom lived out her faith because it was so it was so natural I think it hmm. it's almost hard to parse out from her just yeah. life you know it didn't feel like she had her faith thing and then her life it she just it was just all it was just all together hmm. um so I guess let, let me clarify the question so it was what was how, what was like how would friend? you describe her and the way she lived out her faith. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think she would be, she was one of the most gentle but strong people I know, mm. I think, of, she wasn't a, you know, she wasn't a, a loud person. She wasn't, she was friendly, but not like super extra, you know, extroverted. Um, she had a very strong presence, but was never the center, really. Mm, that's um, such a good way of what's going on. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, and I think that it came from a, a, a humility, I think, in her. Because um, in a lot of ways, because I've kind of been thinking, you know, as now a young woman and trying to figure out how I structure my life and how mm. my mom really didn't have, in, in, in of herself, she didn't have the accomplishments right that people look for right. education you know she um she'd done some college and then decided that she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and thankfully you know she was able to do that and so she didn't really have the um yeah the accomplishments or the uh what the world would say yeah those the, resume things those resume right mm -hmm. what, what is it you do or yeah Right. Yeah. So she didn't have that. And, and, but I also don't think that that ever really bothered her. I think she loved what she was doing. I think she felt called to serve family and her community. And I think that's where, I think that's where her love was and where she saw that, that that was what God had for her. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she loved that. And so I don't think she mm -hmm. ever felt like she missed out and like, <laughs> and I think, and I think especially after she's 
now passed, I, it's been really powerful to see how big of an influence she had, even without those worldly things, if we can call it that. Um, not that those things are bad, but no, they're not bad, but you're right there. But, but she was very aware. I remember us taught, we would have so many conversations about this, Melissa. Mm. She was very aware that the world had, that, that we had categories. Mm. She was aware of it, but she was so strong in what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what she wanted was to devote herself to your dad and her family. That's mm-hmm. what she wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And to enter the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And so I think that's kind of how her faith came out was that she, she just became um, just like our rock, really. And I yes. think that the security for so many people because mm-hmm. she wasn't trying to achieve that next thing or she wasn't looking towards mm-hmm. what, you know, what she needed to be doing next. It, it just... There was, yeah, there was that stability around her. I think that I don't know very many people that have that, um, that are that sure of themselves that they can take the time to care for themselves, but then also just be able to be so, so giving. So, so let's talk about that a minute, because what you're trying to describe is support, Mm -hmm. um, which I think you're absolutely right that very few people have that today that kind of constant support. So can you think of a time, like maybe when you were a teenager or when you're growing up where your mom just showed that support to you and it gave you confidence to be able to do something or, be, or say something or, or take a risk or anything like that? Or can you think of any story at all? Mm-hmm. Because she never tried to mold you into like her image right yeah and I don't think anything particularly comes to mind mm-hmm. but I just remember like her being available right mm-hmm. so I think she was always available at very key times like after school you know like you could mm-hmm. talk to her after school mm-hmm. um and so yeah I don't know if I remember yeah, I would have to think about it a little bit more because I don't know if I can remember any specific time where she was said something specifically to me, but I just always had that sense of support. And I think it was because there was never anything negative that she would say and just That's more that of being available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful presence to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> right. <laughs> amazing to me because I mean I took a very different path like I you know went going to get my doctorate and um, having more of a career and so and she never for for someone who was so dedicated to just being at home and so content with that she also never I, I never got the sense from her that the path I was going was like she wasn't pleased with it or she wasn't happy with it. It was just always seemed to be like I think there was like a deep trust in us as well. Yes that we would, I mean, I know she worried about us and I know she prayed about it for us a lot, but I think she really did trust that we were going to be okay. Yes. And that was really the, the message to me of her life was all is well with the world. Mm-hmm. And because of, because of God, I mean, all is well. And that is really what I gleaned from her when I was in her presence. 
you know, because I could show up being a mess of a million ways, you know, with the girls and, and trying to teach and write and all these things. And she would just smile and kind of almost give that half laugh and, you know, well, let's go do what we came here to do, you know, whatever it was, you know, making making all kinds of strawberry jelly is what I have the strongest memories of. And, and we talked about that, about seasons, mm. a little bit of why seasons bring that. And I, I want to kind of go there for in, in a little bit, but first, before we do that, Melissa, I wonder if, do you, do you remember the first time you realized that your mom was dying and how old were you then? Oh, I, I guess it would be two, two times. Okay. Um, well, if I can even say that, because I think the, the most clear answer to your question is I didn't realize she was dying until two weeks before she died. Oh. Yeah. Because I knew, so when, when she was diagnosed with cancer, um, I, was, I was in high school, I want to say maybe sophomore. Mm -hmm. And... I was one of the first people I think that knew because she came home with the news and for some reason I was sick at home that day, but not really sick. One of those like you're kind of sick, but you're yeah, not you just that sick. Home. Yeah. I, something. For some reason I was home when everybody else was at school, but I don't remember being that sick. Um, and, and that's, and so this was the very beginning when she was very first diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was very scary. I remember that moments of her kind of breaking down and saying she had cancer and stage four cancer and not knowing what that was going to look like. Right. Um, but then after that, I mean, really everything went very well. I mean, she survived and she fought it for seven years and it was, it never went away, but it also, once the treatment started working, they just kind of kept. Well, and it didn't change her life. No, not, not much. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I knew how she was feeling, right? You know how she was, but she didn't let it, she didn't let all the things fall. And, and, and my perspective is that is how she lived her faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, she had a lot of hope, I think. So yeah. even, I think it, it affected her physically in like making her more tired. Yeah. Right. So I think, I think there was a physical toll that I probably won't ever fully understand because she, she was also so active and taking yeah. care of everybody that you, <clears throat> you almost didn't see it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think we became very comfortable living with cancer because it was just kind of there and mom would go do her appointments and everything was kind of okay. And I think she had so much hope that it didn't, I mean, I'm sure it must've scared her at different points, mm -hmm. but um, mm -hmm. she either shielded us from it or didn't, but I also think it maybe even when she experienced it, probably didn't bring her down. Like it. I think that's true. And I do believe that she made it such a matter of trust in God that his timing was perfect. Mm -hmm. um, that when she did pray, she prayed. It's, it's as if she prayed with a faith that, that was transcending sort of what all these statistics could have told her. Um, and rather than be like, well, this is how much time I have or not, or whatever. She, she just kept moving forward, mm -hmm. um, believing in God's promises for what she could do while she was still here. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and I got to witness that every day, 
But what I want to go back to is you said two weeks before. Yeah. That, yeah. that had to be pretty hard on you. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, I, I'm pretty sure I went into shock for like the next year. <laughs> were you living um, here at the time? Where were you at that time? So I was, um, I was newly married. We'd been married for five months. And it was after, it was right after our wedding that mom started chemo for the first time. So, cause she had been on other treatments. She'd been on radiation, she'd been on hormone treatment, but she'd never been on chemo. So that was new. So that was scary. But my understanding we got from the doctors, it was like, okay, well, we're going to try different couple kinds. Like she's really, I believe the term was that they used was like chemo naive. Like her body just hasn't had that much exposure. So they just need to kind of figure it out. And there's lots of options. Um, so as she got, you know, sick that fall, I think all of our family just kind of assumed, well, I guess this is chemo. Like we had never experienced it before. So it was kind of like, like this is sucks and she's exhausted, but like, well, I guess this is chemo. Um, so that was kind of the feeling we had really up until the end when the chemo they tried just wasn't working. And then all of a sudden, and I don't fully understand all the medical side of it really, but, um, but then all of a sudden there was no options and it wasn't working. And they, so it felt very shocking of going from, this is hard, but this is chemo and mom's going to make it. She'd already fought for seven years <laughs> um, yeah. to um, her coming home from the hospital and um, yeah, and I asked uh, Denise Pia if I should go home, <laughs> back up to Washington, and she was like, nope, mm -hmm. you need to stay. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, that might have only been like a week beforehand. Mm -hmm. So. So where did you, what was that like for you? Where did you go for support? Or did you just stay? Um, Cause your rock was now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Moving. I mean, my, my husband was a huge support. Mm -hmm. So that, that really helped. That got me through a lot. Um, and my siblings relying yeah. on my siblings a lot. I think I, we definitely have still do have this weird dynamic. I don't know if it's weird. It, it worked. <laughs> but we had a, we had a hard time crying together. We will sometimes, but I think we, and I don't know if this is healthy or not, but we would kind of mourn on our own in some ways or with each other as like just one-on-one. -on -one. But then as a group, we would be like, all right, we're going to have fun together. Um, which, is, which is probably your group saying, let's stay our group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. It has a life of its own, I suspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I mean, it, it, it did kind of bring us all through that. Um, I remember even, I mean, we had, the, we had hospice in our house, you know, and the whole thing. And we were still playing games, you know, in the same room that mom was just laying on the bed, you know, just right. about to die. But we were, I mean, I remember we were, were laughing. We were just playing. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that, I think that really kind of got us through. And then, and definitely our faith community. I mean, I, the, the day that mom passed that evening, we had a house full of people. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't know how we did that. I don't know how we did that or why, really. I mean, it just, that was just like the instinct of the moment of like, we are grieving, like, where is our community? And so I think when she passed, I think Dad just sent out a bunch of emails and we had a full house potluck that evening. I remember. I mean, and I think it goes to that saying, the way we live, the way we die is the way we lived. Hmm. And so your parents, their whole life was about, you know, community mm-hmm. and friendship and closeness for, for in the Christian community for sure, but even neighbors. And so mm-hmm. that's what it reflected. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, in your, in your life, in your story, um, I'm sure you felt the war within your soul is what I use that, you know, mm-hmm. Did you ever at all feel what, like kind of in my parable, my main character feels the enemy pulling him one way and hears the voice of God calling him in another way. Did you ever experience kind of a a dichotomy going on inside um, in those months that followed, the year that followed? Yeah, that's a hard question because I think it was so subtle. interesting that I'm I'm kind of surprised that my I didn't question my faith more in that time what do you mean Um, I mean I I was mourning and I was sad but I never like doubted God's existence or you know I would you know I would be angry or sad or you know, bargaining or whatever, you know, all those different <laughs> stages of grief. But I, I don't know. I think, I think especially in that first year, I just did what I had been, been doing as far as faith goes. I, I think it was the years maybe later on when the numbness goes away and you kind of have to start life a little bit more that maybe it got a little bit harder. Um, but I think I felt that that struggle in, in knowing that the faith I had could shatter, but I was choosing not to in a way. Um, That's pretty it, powerful though. You chose, you chose, you knew, you, you felt it there. You might've saw it, but you chose, you chose a different road. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. And I, and it was, but it's also, I don't feel like, oh, I was this great, Christian who could just choose this. Um, but I, I really resonate with the words. Um, so I, I love Audrey Assad and some of, her, some of her lyrics. <laughs> yeah. Her lyrics have been so powerful. Um, and so there was one, I'm going to pull it up real quick, but there was one um, song that she has that talks about in the midst of loss, how we're still drawn to God. Yes. And so the lines of Um, I think it goes um, with everything that I have and with everything that I've lost, I'm still drawn to you. Mm. And so I felt like, I felt like those words really resonated with my experience of I had lost so much, but I was still, I had to have God, Mm. you know, because Mm. he is the rock and mom's strength came from God. So I think that's where it may be. It's just like giving up on faith felt like something I couldn't do maybe for 
necessity. Right. <laughs> um, but, but then also that it was, I mean, that is, I think I understood Christian hope in such a more intimate way of knowing that the hope we have in Christ is beyond the grave, right? And I think we, we know that it's Christians, but I think whenever we're praying for blessings or God's promise, it's always in this life. And so I think I could, I could read scripture and see, and the, the, I guess that the veil of death seemed a lot thinner, right? Like it, knowing that God's promises go beyond the grave. Um, and it's not, it wasn't for me so much of like, oh, I know that mom's in heaven or I know that I'll see her again, which I do, but that, that all felt much more, um, like vague, I guess, like even the hope of heaven feels vague sometimes. But I think what felt more real was that God's relationship with my mom and with me continues whether mm. she's here or not. So I think I couldn't really think about like heaven, like for some people, that's a huge comfort for me. It wasn't, but I could think of, of the here and now. Yes. And I could think of mom being with God and that relationship staying the same and that relationship being with me. And that's what was comforting. That's very well said. That's really well said. And I love too, that you said, where else could you go? It's kind of what, that's exactly what the apostle said to Jesus. Where else would I go? Who else would I turn to for the words of life? There is no other way, and your spirit knew that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. So really, for you saying yes to God in the midst of that loss, and even after that loss, it it, it was as like natural as breathing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. it was much more sad and emotional, for sure, <laughs> and much more of that recognition of, you know, I am going to rejoice even in this and, you know, and I don't have a choice. I'm going to, and that's, that was what I had to do. Well, that's beautiful. And it's a great example for many of us. So Melissa, what about thinking about your peers and your friends and colleagues and clients? I mean, you probably know as well as I do many people who've walked away from faith mm -hmm. um, sometimes with, tough times and struggles and sometimes just because, right? I mean, there's no, so do you think, what do you think is at the heart of that sometimes? When you think about people who've said, no, thank you, or this is not for me anymore, or what, you know, why does God allow suffering and it, and it causes them to walk away? I mean, what have you observed about this? Yeah, I mean, it is so different with different people's experiences, of course. But I think I think one one thing that helped me is that I did always have other supportive Christians around me. I think I think that was um, with our church and yeah, just the school community I grew up with. I think that really helped. I know a lot of people have had really painful experiences with the church and. Um, I mean, I would say I have, especially with our church split a couple years ago, but I think overall it has been a very positive experience. And so I think that has been a huge part of it. Let me go back just a second, because the church split, as we know, living in this town that we do, is mm -hmm. monumental. Mm -hmm. And I know um, young people who suffered dearly from that. Mm -hmm. How did you and your siblings avoid that? Mm -hmm. I think that has something to do with 
how you handled the loss of your mom, how mm-hmm. you handled the breakup of a church. What, what was the common thread there that kept you guys tethered to faith in Christ? Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if some of it's the, our faith was, was bigger than the, that, that church community, mm-hmm. right? Of we've been connected with, at least for me, been connected with um, so many different churches and different denominations. And so I think it, it, it definitely hurt. And I, I mean, I have friends that I love dearly on both sides and it was just so, so painful. Um, and I also wasn't living in Newburgh at the time. So that, that definitely helped as well. Um, yeah, but I think being established in a greater church community than just the immediate church or the immediate town. Yeah, that's a good way. To, and, and you saw the bigger picture. But I also do wonder, too, I mean, could it be that your, that your family uh, really drew kind of this picture of the larger Christian community in, in the world? You know, your dad moved out here from a very large Mennonite Amish family, right? And your mom comes from a large, so you did get to see that it was more than just this one small. That's real. That's a really good perspective. Um, so would you answer kind of the next question about how the church influenced your life? Um, but what, would, what advice would you give um, our listeners about the church, even with her flaws and her failures? What would you say? I think I would say to stick with it, but also know that the church isn't just, it is the building, right? And it is that community. And I think that's so important to stay connected, but that's also not the only way. Like, I think it's so essential to be part of a church community, um, but also seeking Christian community with people who go to other churches or um, like I have. I have a therapist who's Christian. And so I think, you know, when there is a lot of pain, especially, um, and relational trauma, I, I, that does happen within church churches. I think having that out, outside perspective, even from a therapist can be really helpful. And I know I'm biased because I am a therapist, but <laughs> no, I mean, true. And there shouldn't be any stigma tied to that at all. Yeah. Right. right. Or other mentors. I mean, I think, I think having, I think we need to not give up on going to church and being part of a church community because there is a, a bond there. And I think that we, re- I think that is really valuable that kind of community where everybody is interconnected, you know, that it has its problems, but it's also can be really powerful uh, for good, but then maybe the importance of having, yeah, other, other community. And, and for me, my, my high school was another, you know, group of Christians that was also very different from my church. So, right. right. Uh, you know, and yeah, so I, and, and that also has its own issues, but on a different, on the other side of the spectrum, right? So I, I think, I think just recognizing that as Christian community, I mean, it's, it's a whole community. It's global, international, um, and, and it's layered and you need yeah. different groups for different purposes of our very complicated selves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we can't expect the church to be perfect. Um, like that quote, I, I know it's misquoting St. Augustine, but the, you know, the, the church is my, is a whore, but she is my mother. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think Tony Campolo said that. And, and I think weirdly, even though I, there's some issues with that quote, but, um, but I think that is helpful too, in a way of recognizing that like, 
we're not expecting the church to be perfect. We're ex we expect it to make mistakes and, but we have to love it and serve it and believe in it mm -hmm. because that is also what we came from and what God has given us. And that's what's given you the, uh, a new sense of support in your faith mm -hmm. because you didn't walk away from her. And so that's, I think that's amazing and very powerful and profound. Um, so to end our time, let's just talk about Jeanette for a little bit. Um, what are some words that come to you or maybe a lesson or a story that would describe what she, who she is and what she means to you? Mm -hmm. hmm. I know that for me, um, I told you that she already represented so much peace, but she also had this profound acceptance of who I was. Um, there, we would spend hours together and we didn't have much in common in terms of our upbringing or the things we pursued, but never once did we ever try to change the other. And she never tried to tame me or domesticate me or, you know, uh, and never. And that, that spoke volumes to my free spirit, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think lessons from mom would just be that sim like simplicity in life is a good thing. Mm -hmm. too, I think um, I, I always grew up with a, a high value of simplicity, and it wasn't until later, like being married, and my husband would point out like it's not it's not necessarily good to be simple. Like that's not <laughs> that's not you know that's not perceived as a good thing. What do you mean by simple? Like talk about that a second before I. Like, <laughs> I would, I would, I would, maybe not simple, because simple and simplicity kind of have different meanings, but um, I think there was kind of a value of, of things, you know, focusing on essentials of food and home and not needing to be over the top or, I mean, everything was, was, you know, well decorated. It was, it was, you know, not like we were poor at all, but there is a val a kind of an underlying value of you don't need to have all these things to to live well um so i think that was just a value i grew up with and then just didn't realize it was weird <laughs> you still do you still keep that value of simplicity I, I like to think so i definitely try um i have to be reminded of it for sure um but i do try to stay connected with just that lifestyle and with mom through yeah um through cooking through taking care of home through um being part of church it's again things that may seem simple but and having purity in relationships that's simple you know she never had an agenda mm -hmm. with her with her friends and i think that's a part of simplicity is being pure mm, yeah you know yeah. i'm here to serve I'm here to meet your need, <laughs> you know, or I'm here to just enjoy your fellowship. You know, I'm not here because I need to make this connection so that we can have some kind of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think she could only have that because she, she was grounded in scripture and in her faith. And um, yeah, I think every, every morning she would spend time in devotions. And I think that did ground her and she never had, I mean, she, she was busy in the sense of she always had so many things she wanted to do and loved doing, yeah. but she wasn't busy in the sense of not having time. Like she could be interrupted at any time 
and it was going to be okay. Right. So it was, it was an activeness and an enjoyment of life, but it wasn't an agenda or I need to get these things done. It was very easy to interrupt her. And I think that's something, that's a good lesson because that's, that's, so part. <laughs> that's good. She wasn't frantic. Maybe we can just remember that she was not frantic. Anxiety did not rule her. Right. Mm -mm. So, well, honey, any go-to passages of scripture that you would say is what you hold on to? Anything that comes to mind? I think the one that comes to mind at this moment is as, as I was thinking back of when, when she did die is, is remembering when God says that I am the God of the living. Mm. Right? So the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, I don't, I'm not phrasing it right, but yeah. um, that, that I think was kind of, like I said before, very powerful to remember um, that life continues and that, yeah. So. Yeah, she is. And she is alive with him right now. So, but, and with us in our hearts and as we talked about in our, in the seasons as they turn. So, but before we go, can, can I pray mm -hmm. or we, cause this has been a very powerful talk of someone who we loved and who God gave us. Um, and I know that I'm very grateful for the influence that Jeanette had on my life. Um, and on my children for sure and I get to have you and your siblings and your your dad and stepmom as friends so mm -hmm. it's a gift but is it okay if I pray yeah. so Lord Jesus um, you've heard this conversation you've heard us talk um, about a woman who profoundly exemplified the light of Christ to so many people but Lord to us and she was so deeply close and personal, Lord, to her children and to her family and to her close friends. And so, God, I pray for um, your light of life to be burning in us today and that we would live in just this day, in this moment, Lord, um, letting your light shine through us, because isn't that what the gospel is? And God, I pray for anyone listening who needs to move close to you that they would recognize immediately that there is nowhere else to turn but to you, the one and true and only uh, one God, the Lord Jesus. Lord, bless Melissa, be with her as she goes on her day and the rest of her week. Amen. Thank you, Pam. Let me just